Our scripture reading for our attention today is taken from the book of Acts, the second chapter, beginning with verse 42. Uh, This reading follows right on the heels of the great day of Pentecost. They, that is the early Christians, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. These are your words, Heavenly Father. They are your truth. We pray that you would increase our faith through them. Amen. During the American Civil War, there was tremendous uncertainty in the economy, and a lot of people were trying to find ways to secure their savings and to secure their, uh, their estates because everything was in such flux. Uh, One gentleman here in the state of Minnesota happened to be the uh, attorney general of Minnesota named William Colville, had purchased a large chunk of property up on what we consider to be the tip of Minnesota, way up by Canada, about 40 miles from Canada, along the Lake Superior shoreline, and 167 acres of property, and he converted his cash into gold and uh, took this stash of gold, and apparently one day, this is back in the 1860s, one day uh, took his sled dogs out onto his property and found a hidden location and buried this large amount of gold and ended up dying before it could be revealed to anyone where he put it. So this great treasure is sitting there somewhere in that part of Minnesota, never found yet, along with about 12 others or more that are scattered throughout the state of Minnesota, some of them rather large, unfound treasures that are buried. There's some that aren't too far from Mankato. Get your shovel. The, um, if, a, if a treasure sits and there's no way to receive it or access it or find it, in a sense it really becomes worthless. Let's talk about the greater treasure and the greatest treasure we have, as we often refer in our hymns, Jesus' priceless treasure. Think about the the great treasure that we have in what our Lord has come to do for us through his death on the cross and resurrection. Full forgiveness of any sin we've ever done, even the one that stings your conscience the hardest and the one that lasts in your memory the longest, forgiven by the blood of Christ. Peace with God. Peace with a holy God who would have every reason to condemn us, but because of Christ, now forgives us. The the perfect holy righteousness that we need on judgment day to stand before God to be led into heaven, a free present because of Christ. The hope of our own bodies physically coming out of our graves to rise again and be glorified and brought into the communion of the saints in heaven. Think what a treasure, and that's going to last forever. Think what a treasure we have because of what Christ has come to do for us. But were it not for the work of the Holy Spirit, 
that wonderful treasure would all be buried and hidden to us. We wouldn't have a clue where to find it. God has chosen not only to, to carry out all that work through his son to purchase all of this for you and give, this, um, give you this amazing gift, but he's also made sure to bring you to it, to take you out to the very location where you can find this wonderful treasure. And he does that through the great revealer, and that is the third person of the Trinity, God the Holy Spirit. And through God's word, and through the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper, that Holy Spirit gathers together those to whom he has given this wonderful treasure. And he places it right in our laps in the gift of faith. The Holy Spirit's primary work is to bring peace to troubled consciences. That's why he's not depicted as a vulture or an eagle, but rather as a dove because his work is one of distributing and bringing the peace of God to us and right to you and to your life. The text in front of us today is describing for us the, the first assembling, the first gathering together of the Christian congregation following Pentecost. And there are a lot of differences between these people living back almost 2,000 years ago compared to us today, clothing and language and food we eat, and a lot of different things, but there are also some tremendous similarities, and they are really the similarities that matter the most. And you can see in this congregation, in this little description in these six verses, you can see the, the, uh, the essence of what a Christian congregation is all about, and the evidence of the Holy Spirit's work. Even though it's unseen, and it's internal, and it takes place inside of people's hearts, it also does produce an outward evidence of itself as well. Let's just notice a few things from this text. First of all, notice that membership in this church is by God's doing. It's not by man's doing. The text ends with this line, the Lord added daily to the church those who were being saved. Notice it doesn't say people were joining the church. Notice it doesn't say people were giving their lives to, lives to Jesus. It doesn't say people were turning their hearts over to Jesus or making a decision to become Christians. The Bible never talks like that when it comes to faith and conversion. It always gives full credit for that work to God. The Lord adds daily to his church those who are being saved. And even the very faith that's in your heart right now that's causing you to want to listen to this word of Christ and to love it and appreciate it, even that is a continuing presence of the Holy Spirit right now in your heart. Without that, we would be nothing but spiritually dead. The life that is in the church is the Holy Spirit. And we thank God for that. But it's always important for us to keep in mind that that's where the real life comes from that creates this faith inside of us that causes us to want to gather together. The Lord adds daily to the church those who are being saved. Notice also that by the gospel, he draws believers together, maybe who have other things that aren't very much in common, and yet because of their common love now for the gospel and for Christ, despite those differences, they are together in one. 
remember years ago preaching in a congregation and just so happened that probably the wealthiest member of our church was sitting in the same pew with probably what I thought was someone who was the least wealthy member in our church. I had been to each of their homes. They were dramatically, drastically different. One was a mansion and the other one was a trailer house. And yet there they were sitting together and they came up at the same altar to receive the body and blood of Christ. And they had a common love for the Savior and they had a common eternal home that was going to look the same for both of them. And that's the wonderful unity that we see in the church. There's a great passage from John who says, we know we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. That's a great passage. If you're ever, Luther said, if you're ever wondering whether or not you're part of the church and concerned whether you really are a believer, just meditate on that passage. It's kind of a test. We know we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. We just love to be together and worship our Savior. Notice also in this text that the Holy Spirit unites people around the apostles' doctrine and the fellowship of them being together, which means a unity of their doctrine. They don't have a building yet. Uh, they don't seem to have any property. And yet the essential elements of what constitutes a Christian congregation are all here and present here. This is the Holy Christian Apostolic Church as it gathers together, established by Christ through his apostles, the very ones whom Jesus said to them that the Holy Spirit would come and guide them into all truth. And so just as much as Christ speaks truth from his mouth as the pure Son of God, he now also says to them as they record the scriptures and their teachings become the very thing in our New Testament that gathers the Holy Christian Church together. Notice also that, that the believers are gathered around the means of grace. As you read through this text, if you had a highlighter, you could highlight in just the verses right before this, baptism, the Lord's Supper, the breaking of bread, the, the, the uh, worshiping around the, the apostles' teaching, and all of this produces the activity of worship and prayer these are what we call the marks of the church. You have to have these things in order for the Holy Spirit to go about his work. Also notice immediately that all of these believers show a love for one another. They have a desire to help one another. Some have used the illustration, I believe as Augustine said, that the, the stones that we are as members of the church built upon Christ, the, the cornerstone and the foundation of the apostles and so on, the stones are all bound together by the mortar of love. Not only a common love from God, but a love for each other, the brothers and sisters in Christ. They didn't give up total ownership of their property, maybe the way we see in communism, but they rather used the gifts that they had when they needed to and sold them to be able to serve one another. This became a free manifestation of the charity that they had received because of what Christ had done for them. I had a woman in a congregation years ago that if I knew there was someone in physical need in our church, I would call her up and I would say, Mary, I need about $500 to help someone. Could you help me out? And she said, I'll get right on it. And she would call me back in about three, four days, and she would come into my office with an envelope full of money. And she had apparently contacted people in our congregation, 
and found out uh, who would be willing to donate to this. And within just a matter of a few days, we had that gift to help out this family. That's, the, that's part of the, the outward evidence of this internal work that the Holy Spirit does when people are brought to faith in Christ. And finally, notice this, that the work that the Holy Spirit causes in our hearts to create faith in this Savior is finally about, about an eternal joy, a gladness that lasts beyond this life. He says, they worship together in gladness and simplicity of heart. There are days when working inside of the Holy Christian Church, working inside of God's kingdom is challenging, can be difficult, but it's never really drudgery. There's always an underlying foundation of joy and happiness because we know it's of such a, a greater importance than anything this world will ever offer us. We know that it's about getting people out of their graves. We know that it's about getting people to, to be able to feast with angels someday. It's about, about giving people the holy perfection they will need to stand before a holy God and stand in his presence without any fear. And when, when that is underlying everything the church is about because of its faith in Christ, there's a, a general foundational gladness that comes along with this. What a blessing that the Holy Spirit has taken you and me by hand and led us out to the very location where this wonderful treasure is to be found. We are so blessed to be part of that church. Amen.